it a little bit. Great, thank you so much. And I don't suppose I should tell you that normally when I do, now I do manuscript sermons, I mean uh, usually nine pages, single space. I tell people I write a term paper every week for sermons. But anyway, today is 19 pages, just so you'll know, just so you'll be ready for that, okay? Are you ready? Here we go. Two weeks ago, Tad talked about a theology of mission. Mission's not something we do. It is really who we are. Our relationship to God is intricately tied to the mission of God. In fact, in negative terms, I'd suggest if we are not invested in the mission of God, we probably don't really have a relationship with Him. We are baptized into His mission, and that mission is to restore creation and humanity back to its rightful owner. And a church that loses its mission is a church that has lost its reason for being uh, like the church in Laodicea or Sardis in the book of Revelation. They say, hey, we're alive and we're healthy and look at our programs and activity and people are coming and, and we're doing just fine. Say, no, Jesus, Jesus said, no, you're dead. You're lukewarm. And the saddest part, you don't even know it. So we can have a lot of activity, a lot of things going on and still be dead. Uh, when we lose our mission, that's when it happens. Now, last week, Casey talked specifically about how we can participate in the mission of God locally, reaching out to the prodigal and running to him like the Father does. And today, I'm going to talk about God's mission globally, how we should be running to the world. And I've entitled this, In the Gap, which comes from a verse in Ezekiel, where he says, I look for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it, but I found no one. Ezekiel 22 is an awful chapter. God is finally done with Jerusalem. He's done everything he can to restore himself, them to himself, but they have continually turned their backs on him, and now judgment is coming. There's a gap between God and Jerusalem, and no one would stand in that gap to bring the two together. And today, there is a gap between God and the world, a gap between God and all that he is and this world and humanity and all that it is or is not, and God is looking for people to stand in the gap to bring about his purposes for the world, to be a bridge between him and the world so that he can bless the nations and not destroy them. I look for someone to stand in the gap. Will he find someone? For God, the gap is the issue. He loves the world. He does not desire the gap to exist. It is so important that God sent his own son to stand in that gap forever. And today there's millions of people, even billions, that are still separated from the Father and the call of God to the church and to you and to me and to every Christian is in some way stand in that gap. And some are standing in the gap, taking God to the reconciliation to the world. And one way we can stand in the gap is to join those who are already there, who have chosen to stand in the gap by praying for them and supporting them and partnering with them and encouraging them. And I'm going to tell you about five global in the gappers this morning that we support and we partner with. Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. He did not say go into all Mount Pulaski or all Logan County or all the United States. He said all the world. We are commanded to go to Iran and Argentina and Canada and Honduras and Myanmar and the Ukraine to the darkest parts of the earth, including Chestnut. <laughs> that was a joke. The great sin of the church today is not a sin of commission. I wouldn't even say it's a sin of omission. It really, the great sin of the church may be the sin of no mission. A church woman said, you know, whenever I think about those people in other parts of the world and they see the hunger and the disease and they're separated from Christ, I worry. And I know God doesn't want me to worry, so I've decided God doesn't want me to even know about it. Folks, the good news is not to be monopolized selfishly. It is to be shared aggressively. 
And Paul in Ephesians says, this mystery was given to me to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. It wasn't given me to hide or to hoard. And a church without a mission really is no longer a church. Mission is the lifeblood of the church. And if our Christianity isn't worth exporting, I'd suggest it's not worth keeping. If your Christianity isn't worth exporting, it isn't worth keeping. In Romans 15, Paul talks about the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel. 1 Corinthians, he says, I am compelled to preach. And that's my question for us today. Am I compelled? Do we have the sense of urgency? Because a biblical church is a missionary church. A church that is involved in the mission of God, standing in the gap as ambassadors for God to this world. And I really believe if we have this sense of mission, it will give us energy. It will give us more meaning and purpose and joy in our life and our walk with Christ. In fact, I was visiting some missionaries in the Philippines several years ago, Roger and Dixie Shoemaker. And I still remember we were riding along in their vehicle, if you want to call it that. I mean, it was a hunk of junk, really, and 500,000 kilometers on it. But anyway, we're riding along bumpy roads, and the driving over there isn't always so uh, safe, and I'm covering my eyes. and, And we're going along, and Dixie out of the blue just says, isn't this fun? Okay. And I'm not just thinking back then. Now, the Philippines is hot, beastly hot. And I was there in the cool season in January, and I heard they were having a blizzard back in Illinois, and I was so upset because I love blizzards and I love snow and everything, and I was mad I missed it. I'm going to retire to Canada, not Florida. Anyway, Philippines is hot. They're low on funds. Most missions deal with money issues, and they're always living by faith. They don't have enough help. They don't have enough workers. That's why Jesus said, pray for workers going to the harvest. Therefore, they're overworked, and their schedule is crazy. They, they've had setbacks and ongoing battle. They've encountered demonic possession in some of their churches. They live in a culture that they'll never really fit in. I mean, that's typical missionary stuff. And she says, this is so much fun. In fact, when I pressed her on it, she you know, this is so much fun, I don't understand why more people don't do it. And it made me think about a book I read on ministry called Leadership Pain. And talk about the hardship of working for God. And it's really about more ministers and located ministry, you know, like here in the church. But it can refer to missionaries as well. But it seemed to have two opposite messages, that ministry is very difficult, it's challenging, which makes sense. I mean, if you're Satan, who are you going to attack? You're going to attack church leaders and missionaries and all, because they're a threat to his kingdom. So mission is difficult. Paul never said he had fun. He never said he liked Uh, working as a missionary or with a church. He never said it was fun sitting in jail. But for Paul, he talked about joy. Must be a difference between joy and fun. And I see it all the time with missionaries. They they talk about the joy they have. In this book, Leadership Pain is talking about how ministry is difficult, but it is also the most fulfilling of any profession because there's no higher calling. So it is the most stressful and difficult and in many ways the most rewarding. And I think of church people who are desperately wanting to have fun. I just want to be happy. And it's never enough. Something's missing. You need a cause. And I know this is a little oversimplistic here. And, and some people have real problems. I get that because we're in a fallen world. But if you want to change your outlook and change your perspective, plug into the mission of God and be a missionary. Stand in the gap. Be a missionary to, to kids or a missionary to your neighbor or work, associate, or work associates and Quit thinking so much of yourself. Submit yourself and say, Jesus, what do you want out of me? Join others in the gap. Join him in the gap. And some of you already have. I know that. It is a mission that causes a church to breathe and have life and vitality.
some scientists decided to develop a fish that could live outside of water. And so they selected some healthy red herring. They bred and crossbred, hormoned and chromosomed until they finally produced a fish that could exist outside of water. But the project director wasn't satisfied. He suspected that though the fish had learned to live on dry land, it still had a secret desire for water. I don't think this is a true story, by the way. He said, we need to re-educate this fish and change its very desire so this fish won't even want water. So again, they went to work, this time retraining the fish's instincts and reflexes, and the result was a fish that would rather die than get wet. Even humidity filled this new fish with dread. The director, proud of his triumph, took the fish on tour. Here's a fish that hates water, a fish that doesn't even want water. But according to reports, there was an accident, and the fish fell into a lake. It sank to the bottom, eyes and gills clamped shut, afraid to move lest it become even wetter. It hated that water, and of course, it dared not breathe. All its training said no, shut the water out, and yet, breathe it must. So the fish drew a tentative gill full of water. Its eyes opened. It breathed a second time and flicked a fin. It breathed a third time and wriggled with delight and darted away out of sight as healthy as could be. The fish had rediscovered water. We need to rediscover mission, and we'll come alive. We've been so conditioned by our culture to reject mission. We've been trained to think that the church is about me. Mission to others is okay to talk about it, but really... It's something most of us want to avoid. Only odd people take missions seriously. Us normal people, we know better. Those missionaries, they're just a little strange. But when we discover mission, we come alive. Deep down, way in there somewhere, is a God-given spirit in each one of us that is a missionary spirit. It's in you, it's in me. Just don't suppress it. When we have people go to Haiti, they come back what? Alive. They're juiced. Mission. So let's open our gills, let's breathe, let's quit shutting it out, experience new life. The people most alive in our church today are those who are alive to the mission of God. I think Jesus would say to us what he said to his disciples, open your eyes, the harvest is white, it's ready, join me in the gap, open your gills. So how do we motivate people toward the mission of God? If a church or a Christian loses that sense of mission, how do they get re-energized and recalibrated Uh, Specifically today, how do we motivate people to get excited about taking the good news to the world globally and standing in the gap with the world? In a self-centered, consumerized, me-first culture, that's a hard sell. The church in Sardis in the book of Revelation had a reputation of being alive, lots of programs, lots of activity, lots of people, but they were dead. Which raised the question, how are you going to be active and still be dead? How are you going to be both of those? A lot of activity, but... Something's missing. Ephesus lost their first love. Laodicea was so sick they made Jesus vomit. Are we alive? Or just the reputation of being alive? 1792, William Carey and 12 colleagues formed a missionary society. And within a year, Carey and his family were on their way to India. The British East India Company, whose interest was in profits, said this. The sending out of missionaries is the maddest, most extravagant, most costly, most indefensible project which has ever been suggested by a moonstruck fanatic. Such a scheme is pernicious, imprudent, useless, harmful, dangerous, profitless, fantastic. You know what's sad about that? I know church members that have that mindset. I've heard it. The cross is foolishness to the world, but I'm afraid sometimes it's foolishness to church members. 
Mission is expensive, yeah. And it is labor-intensive. And it demands sacrifice. And we will encounter obstacles. And there are barriers uh, that a rich and complacent American church is going to have a hard time dealing with. And so, again, what will it take to motivate us to be more concerned about the loss? What will it take to give up some things in life so others around the world can enjoy eternal life? Now, here at our church, we have some good things and uh, some things where we need to improve, of course. But one of the good things is our mission team, uh, with Rob Powell leading that, is very diligent. Michael Wakeman served on that at one time. We have others really good mission-minded people on that. Mission trips have energized a passion for overseas mission with some of our people. We've gone to Uganda, Honduras, and Haiti, and a lot of our young people have been energized by that. We have some really good missionaries who are doing good work and making a difference in their culture, and that's helped make us a little bit more outward-oriented. So that's good, but there's room for improvement. And to be honest, frankly, when I look at other churches and talk to them, we're not a real strong missions church. I'll just... That's my fault. I'm part of the problem. So this message is really an attempt to address that problem. The greatness of a church is determined by... How would you finish that? Greatness of a church is determined by youth program. Attendance, budget, building, standing in the community. When I read what Jesus says to the churches... Let me suggest the greatness of church is determined by not what it takes in, but by what it sends out. God is ascending God, and a great church is not determined by the number of programs or activities or music or preaching or budget or what we take in, but are we sending harvesters into the world? And there should be several motives for us to be involved in the mission of God. First of all, I'm not sure you can be a Christian and not be involved in his mission. Second, we want the whole world to glorify God. Don't we to acknowledge his lordship? I mean, that should be our passion to restore the world to him. Uh, another motive is our love for Jesus. We love him, and so we love his mission. Another is our obedience to Jesus. He commanded us to go and make disciples. Another one is our concern for the unsaved and the reality of eternal consequences. The Bible is clear. Some are going to be lost. And I know hell is a four-letter word. It is the unmentionable motive. Emphasizing the lostness of the lost has almost become taboo. Hell is such an awful doctrine. We don't want to talk about it or hear it or think about it. But if we downplay the eternal lostness, I think that's when we lose the passion and the urgency. I have a book called Preaching to a Postmodern World. Basically says you cannot preach fear and judgment to 21st century listeners. And then another preacher who's very popular uh, so you can't preach about eternal hell. We need to talk about hell on earth and talk about the here and now and poverty and injustice and suffering. Well, yeah, I, I get that. We do need to fight hell on earth, and that's part of our mission too. But if there's an eternal, final separation from God, I mean, if the Bible is true in what it says, it seems to me like that's a pretty big motive. We'll go and help hurricane victims. We'll do medical missions in Haiti. That's all good. Lots of churches do that. Uh, concern for health and education and justice is good. Operation Christmas Child is a wonderful angel tree, which we're going to start next week. That's great. But talking about rescuing people from a bad ending and using the H word, mm-mm, too offensive. It's going to make people feel bad. Little Bobby was picking up toys, which he'd scattered around the room, and a visiting minister commended him for that and said, uh, did your mother promise you something for picking them up? And Bobby said, no, sir, but she promised me something if I did not. <laughs> Negative motivation, can't, bad parenting, can't do nothing bold today. We need positive reinforcement. And I, guess, I get that. But what motivated God to send his son to earth? 
John 3.16, for God so loved the world. He gave his one, that's one motive. He gave his one only son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Hmm. God sent his son to save people from eternal destruction. That's God's motive. So maybe it's not such a bad motive after all. Maybe we should preach it. I agree to an extent. In preaching our society, hell is not the first word we need to talk about. But the shift to de-emphasize it in the church will undermine mission urgency and lead to eternal loss for people, maybe even your neighbor. And this, I believe, is a major reason the church in America is lethargic when it comes to global missions. I think this is why apathy is growing in the American church. What's happening today in evangelical, Bible-believing churches like ours is exactly what happened about 100 years ago in mainline denominations. At the turn of the century, the mainline denominations moved away from saving people from hell and moved towards saving them in the here and now, you know, hell on earth. It was called the social gospel. We've got to fight poverty and disease and injustice, and those are all biblical mandates. Don't get me wrong. I get that. But with every move in the social gospel direction, missions shriveled. So it may be that the eternal destiny of the lost is the theological issue for the church today. And again, yes, we should love people by being concerned about their health and promoting justice. We should fight against slave marketing of young girls for prostitution. Do that in the name of Jesus. Absolutely. Fight AIDS in Africa and murder and rape in the Congo and do things like Habitat for Humanity. Those are all part of our mission, all part of our call, but above all, We should love them into eternal life. Let's take John 3.16 and love the world. God loves the world. And God was motivated by saving them from eternal death. And so should we. I remember my dad preaching a sermon. (laughs) And this is a sermon that everybody was preaching back then. Very popular sermon. Four people I'd like to see go to hell. Some of you are thinking, I can think of more than four. But we won't go there. Four people to go to hell for one day. One day. First of all, the preacher. Go to hell for one day, he'd come back and he'd preach a little differently. Second, Sunday school teacher. Go to hell for one day, come back, they'd teach a little differently. Elder, third. Like to see an elder go to, church, go to hell, they'll come back and they'll see the church a whole lot differently. And fourth, a church member. Go for one day. There's kind of a story like that in the Bible. Rich man and Lazarus. The rich man went to torment because he, didn't, he ignored the mission of God. And all of a sudden, he got missions-minded one day in hell. Tell my family. Tell everyone. You, you got to tell them. They got to repent. They got to embrace God. They got to turn to God. One day in hell. It'll change your thinking. And people who do not care about evangelism or missions need to go to hell for a day. Paul said, I'll become all things to all people to win some. I'll do whatever it takes. Will you? Will I? Now, here's the good news. That's kind of heavy, wasn't it? Here's the good news. We are in the golden age of missions. I mean, 70% of the progress made toward the whole world knowing uh, the gospel has been occurred in the last 100 years. And 70% of that figure has happened since World War II. And 70% of that figure has taken place since 1990. It is estimated 200,000 people a day are coming to Christ around the world. At one time, we were just about the only center of missionaries in the United States, but now missionaries are going from all, all over the world. Other countries are sending. In fact, someone suggested once, and maybe there's something to it, I don't know. They said, the only reason God is sparing the United States now 
I mean, what other reason would God have to spare the United States is that we're sending missionaries. We're still the number one sending country in the world. And maybe that's the only reason God is sparing us today. I don't know. But we are in the golden age of missions. But what can we do specifically, we as a church, how can we stand in the gap? Casey last week said we can reach out to the prodigals, run to this locally here. Globally, we can encourage our missionaries because missions life is tough. They do have challenges. I've been on mission boards, and they have money worries. They're separated from family. There's isolation, health care, and education are issues, danger from terrorism. In fact, the airport I flew into the Philippines, Davao City, was blown up two months after I was there. You know, I mean, there's just a lot of danger. We have handouts for you this morning at the tables as you leave this morning. And I encourage you to take one and maybe send them a message and say, you're praying for them and encourage them in some way. They'd love to hear from you and say we're with you. Second is to pray for our missionaries. Uh, I got to visit some uh, missionary friends in Japan, Dave and Ruth Hinson. And I remember Dave saying, we really don't need your money so much as we need your prayers. Japan's a tough field and only God can crack it. And then third, of course, is give. As a church, we do support these five, but we need to do so much more. Money is an issue for a lot of people. In fact, I'm going to suggest it's for everybody. I mean, some of you just need to get your spending under control. Let's just put it that way. Get that debt under control. Others, if you need to reprioritize your thinking and where your money goes, eternal life is more important than getting another new toy. Is it not? Is it more important than another trip or getting another, going to another party to get drunk? But, but some, so many have bought hook, line, and sinker in the American way, and the American way is not Christ's way, and it is a way to a dead end, and it is time for us to repent and confess of our sin of materialism. The only way to overcome slavery to the American way, I think, is just do the opposite and give, because the American way is to take and feed and self. So we got these handouts at these tables, I'd like you to take one and just be a reminder. You know, put it on your refrigerator or whatever. I just want you to be aware of them. And I'll just be honest. I apologize. I've been negligent in communicating this to you. This sermon should have been preached five years ago or more. First one's Lazarus Fish in Myanmar, uh, which is also, also known as Burma. Uh, it's right along, they're right along the border of China. And so they're doing outreach to both countries, have an amazing outreach. Uh, the next slide shows... Uh, the Yangon Christian College and Seminary, that's the student body and their faculty. They're training leaders for the gospel in Myanmar, which, by the way, Myanmar is about 4% Christian today and mostly Buddhist. Okay. Uh, the next slide, let's see. Yeah, those are 13 people who were just baptized in the month of August, just in August. And then the next slide is the Lisu Church service, uh, hundreds of people worshiping God Lazarus Fish, we've been supporting him for a long time, just a great ministry. John and Janie Gaynor are next, and their four children. Uh, they do most of their evangelism through English, they, English courses, English Bible studies. They teach in the public schools. They, they taught in factories. They do English camps. Uh, they see that as the conduit for building relationships and sharing them the, the, the good news. Now, they're in the Ukraine. I don't know if I mentioned that. They're in the Ukraine. And then in the next slide, here's four people that were baptized at the end of one of their camps. And John said, we need prayer for the success of the new student ministry that it would be successful in reaching unbelieving college students. 
we need a building to put a new church plant in. And, of course, that's difficult because of finances. So that's the gainers. Norm and Jill Weatherhead are next pioneered Bible translators from Papua New Guinea. We support them. Some of these, I'm sure, you weren't even aware of supporting them. Norm is a current language director and oversees of all the Bible translations. Right now, 16 different languages he's involved in overseeing. The next slide, he's working with the Kukum uh, translation team with the Gospel of Luke. And he just says, pray for us to be able to finish that project and get Luke translated. Johnny and Janelle Knox, uh, they're in Myanmar as well. And they're working with entrepreneurship school, which seeks to alleviate poverty by promoting business startup, financial literacy, and job creation. They're doing more of the social gospel, but also church planting. So they're doing a little bit of both, which I think, in fact, all these missions are doing both the social side and the eternal side, social work and eternal work. The next picture is a group of people they taught in August. Uh, Pray that they continue through the program for the next two months and start their own business. They're just a delightful young couple. And this next one, I'm sure most of you not known about, Yuma and Sally, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, Terui. They are native Japanese, born and raised in Osaka. Yuma was baptized in 2012, despite having at one time rejected Christianity for philosophical reasons. He's very intelligent. Sally became a Christian in 2015 when she's moved by the love of God through her Christian friends. They are eager to tell the Japanese about the gospel to help them find true happiness. Other Japanese people have witnessed the truth through their godly, have witnessed the truth through their godly marriage because it's not unusual for Japanese families to be dysfunctional and people have very low expectations for marriage in Japanese culture. God has given Yuma a gift to proclaim the gospel boldly from the pulpit and to influence listeners in every aspect of life with his philosophical mind. God has given Sally a gift to love children and work with them. They're part of the Mustard Seed Christian Church in Osaka. If that sounds familiar, that's what Les and Sarah Evans were involved with when they were in Japan. And here's a worship service, the next slide uh, of them. Japan is less than 1% Christian. And uh, it's a tough field. And the best thing we can do is pray for them. Yeah, we're supporting them financially. The best thing, all these missions, number one thing is pray for them. These five have chosen to stand in the gap. And we have joined them. And you can join them in a deeper way through prayer and encouragement. I want to thank Rob Powell and Tracy Dyer for getting all these pictures ready and, and getting the uh, handouts ready for this morning as well. And I just apologize. We have not communicated to you very well, just to be honest. And these people are great people standing in the gap, doing a great work, and we're just... God says, I look for some to stand in the gap. And we know five. The gainers, the fishes, the weatherheads, the noxes, and Yuma and Sally. They said, I'll stand in the gap. Let's stand with them. Let's pray. God, first of all, I pray for these five and just thank you for their willingness to say yes to their chosen mission that you've chosen for them. Lord, I pray you will open our eyes. I pray you'll open my eyes, make us more aware of what's really important. Forgive us when we get so wrapped up in trivia. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and his mission and get our eyes off of ourselves. You've saved us. And you saved us not so we can rest in our security, but so that we can stand in the gap. I want to join your mission. As a church, we have to join your mission. 
So we stand in the gap for our neighbors, for our children, for Myanmar, Japan, New Guinea, Johnny and Janelle, Yuma and Sally. Thank you that we can join these missions around the world and stand in the gap with them. And we just pray your very, very special blessing on them this morning. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.